endometriosis and, and obviously fibroids uh, all have, seem to have a similar starting point, which is an excess of estrogen, perhaps mediated by some aspects of inheritance or certainly the environment or certainly inability to regulate blood sugar efficiently, uh, low thyroid function, all of these things seem to come together to, to combine issues like PCOS, uh, endometriosis and fibroids. I, I think there's still this um, big slant towards PCOS being down to um, aspects of testosterone or mm. uh, sugar consumption. And I think when some, there's, there's a certain aspect of uh, excess sugar in the diet without any other nutrients that might have an effect but you have to look at all the other underlying factors that bring that to the fore and certainly low thyroid function i believe is one of the uh, uh, primary drivers of pcos welcome to the win at life podcast a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can break free from restrictive diets and build a body and life you love I'm Kitty Bloomfield, co-founder of New Strengths and your host for this episode. Today, I'm sitting down with our good friend and favorite POM, Tomo Littlewood. Tomo has his master's in endocrinology and will be soon embarking on his PhD. His goal is to change the conversation around the appropriate diagnosis of thyroid hormone disease. He set up a GoFundMe account, which we've already donated to. So if you wish to contribute to his research, I've included the link in the podcast details below. In this episode, Tomo reveals what really causes PCOS and endometriosis and how you can improve it by eating sugar, carbs, and dairy. Yep, that's right. It's probably the opposite of what every health professional and doctor has ever told you. Many women are told to take the pill or get the marina put in. Tomo reveals while this can often mask the symptoms but make the conditions worse. He also talks about thyroid function and the key role it plays in PCOS and endometriosis. He discusses the misconceptions around what causes these conditions and how your typical clean diet can actually make things worse. He also discusses the specific diet and lifestyle changes you can make to improve PCOS and endometriosis. So if you're a woman who suffers from one of these conditions, this episode will be a game changer and I know you'll enjoy it as much as I did. As always, take a screenshot and share your biggest takeaways on Instagram stories and tag me at K-I-T-T-Y-B-L-O-M-F-I-E-L-D. Let's spread the word and free other women from restrictive diets. Hey, everybody, and uh, welcome back. We've got uh, the amazing Tomo Littlewood, one of my favourite um, poms, all the way from Dubai. He's uh, just telling me how he's had a bit of a stressful month doing the homeschooling. I'm sure there's lots of parents out there who are just... <laughs> Four months. <laughs> Four months. <laughs> and he broke a chair the other day. I'm like, oh, thank God you eat sugar, hey? Imagine if you just you were on some low-carb diet. You'd, your kids would probably be dead now. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and he had to move house in between it. I'm like, oh, isn't moving house one of the most stressful things? Thank God for sugar. But today um, we are discussing PCOS and endometriosis. So, you know, as anyone who's been following me for a while knows that we, you know, work with women and women who've done a lot of excess dieting and low calorie diets, low sugar. And we actually attract a lot of women who have... Um, PCOS and endometriosis and you know when they come to us I find that you know they've been told to cut sugar out of their diet they've been told to you know eat green vegetables um, and a lot of the things that are actually recommended to them are contributing to their 
condition. And Keith, you'd get women, you'd work with women, hey, too, with endometriosis and PCOS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's uh, it's well, it's been a common theme for for quite some time. I mean, um, en- endometriosis and and obviously fibroids uh, all have, seem to have a, a similar starting point, which is an excess of estrogen, perhaps mediated by some aspects of inheritance, or certainly the environment, or mm-hmm. certainly inability to regulate blood sugar efficiently, uh, low thyroid function. All of these things seem to come together to to combine issues like PCOS, uh, endometriosis and fibroids. I, I think there's still this um, big slant towards PCOS being down to um, aspects of testosterone or mm. uh, sugar consumption. And I think when some, there's, there's a certain aspect of uh, excess sugar in the diet without any other nutrients, that might have an effect. But you have to look at all the other underlying factors that bring that to the fore and certainly Low thyroid function, I believe, is one of the uh, uh, primary drivers of PCOS. Mm. And let's um, so let's dig a bit deeper into you know because I think what are some of the misconceptions around what actually causes PCOS and endometriosis? You sort of touched on it before. Well, I, I think if you look at some of the the expressions, which sometimes can be like uh, the, the the findings. Well, first of all, findings of of, of cysts in the ovaries doesn't necessarily dictate the PCOS state. Uh, it might be combined with uh, other things like expression of other hormones, like typically the uh, clinician might look at testosterone. Um, if they're, they're really clever, they'll look at things like aromatase issues and, and how, how that's expressed. But I, I think some of the misconceptions are that um, PCOS is something that's um, it's quite normal for particularly teenage girls to experience. With the work that I've done, also my daughter who went through a similar thing, I think one of, one, one of the big things with PCOS is stress, mm. um, sometimes under eating uh, and often the exposure to environmental estrogens, which can have this synergistic effect of growth and creating cystic-like growth on, on the ovaries themselves. Uh, there can be some interactions between the nervous system and I think uh, the parasympathetic system can stimulate nerve growth within the ovaries themselves. But I think that the, the common thing is that PCOS needs to be treated with contraceptive pills, hmm. uh, which can have a, 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 a quite a detrimental effect to um, ovarian physiology um, and the, the systemic physiology itself, i.e. how the body responds to being exposed to environmental estrogens hmm. um, or medicinal estrogens. Obviously, there tends to be a switch these days because for a lot of females, they're not prescribed just the, the, the bog standard estrogens. They're either given a, a combo pill of a progestin and an estrogen. And I think it's the suppressive effects that the progestin can have, or if it's a progestin on its own, can still have these kind of very detrimental effects to uh, ovarian function over time. Mm. And I think it's where the bad name for progesterone comes from, mm. is the, 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 the uh, concomitant use of the, a progestin with it being the, uh, a normal progesterone, if that makes sense. And it's mm. not, they're two very different things. Uh, and the knock-on effects to reproductive physiology over time can be quite problematic. And that's why you'll see a lot of females who sometimes come off the pill and mm. have trouble getting pregnant again. Some rebound quite nicely. Uh, perhaps that's just uh, uh, reflective of their own physiology um, and perhaps what they're doing from a dietary perspective, what they've inherited 
what their environment's doing. So, but it's not very common that women come off the pill and get pregnant straight away. So getting back to PCOS, I, I think um, it, it's, it's useful to look at PCOS as, as an interaction of perhaps high estrogen stimulation and low thyroid suppression, which tends to drive this kind of polycystic state. That makes sense. Mm. And let's talk about, so, you know, women are like, oh, okay, all right, Kitty, that makes sense. But what actually causes that low thyroid function and that high estrogen? Let's talk about, so you talked about stress and there's lots of different things that can stress the body. So maybe let's start with, you know, diet. Because I think, um, you know, a lot of women that come to us that experience these conditions have been told to eat green vegetables, they eat a lot of nut seeds, you know, they don't eat dairy, they'll eat almond milk, you know, and the different nut milks. They'll be eating lower carbs or low carbs, no sugar. So how is that contributing to this? Well, I think first of all, I'll just sidetrack slightly. A lot of the things that uh, or common strategies that uh, females are given for PCOS is to cut down on sugar consumption, primarily because blood sugar levels can be elevated. Mm. Um, but that elevation of blood sugar isn't necessarily to do with sugar consumption. So for example, a low thyroid state, which can be enhanced by the diet that you just talked about, can be a key driver of why glucose levels are high. Hyperglycemia or these high glucose states are often very, uh, very common when the thyroid is suppressed. Now, you can do two things. You can take away sugar, which will have an effect on lowering glucose levels, but it doesn't mean that the system becomes more efficient. Now, a lot of people will go on this kind of clean, hyper-healthy diet, such as lots of raw green vegetables, lots of nuts and seeds, and those, those fats are problematic in themselves um, for, for a number of other reasons, which maybe we'll come back to. But those particular foods, because they tend to be low in energy, uh, they also tend to have uh, thyroid-disrupting compounds in them, particularly your kind of brassica vegetables like your broccoli, cauliflowers, radish, sprouts, um, all these kind of foods. And even to a degree, spinach ha has a very similar effect as well. So when you're going on these diets that have potentially low energy levels, uh, sorry, low energy availability from them, Plus, they have a double whammy effect because a lot of females tend to have these kind of raw steamed vegetables which don't have much energy. But those compounds are quite right. So when you consume them, they have the capacity to disrupt thyroid um, production. Uh, sometimes that can be mediated by having available iodine, uh, but sometimes more often than not, uh, it can overwhelm the system. And lots of these other vegetables like undercooked um, zucchinis or courgettes for example mm. tend to produce high levels of cyanide and create relative levels of cyanosis that are probably quite harmless in a in a in a good robust physiology but when your energy is low you don't have enough you can't regulate glucose efficiently you can't produce enough thyroid hormone all of these things lend to the state because the, the, the body state becoming compromised, not being able to produce enough energy. So it, it's it's useful to understand. It is a bit like why some people say, okay, let's cut sugar out so that the blood glucose levels improve. Well, they can improve because a little bit because the insulin response isn't being um, aggravated as much. But that doesn't mean removing the sugar that is the problem. And suppressing sugar, um, so for example, let's say a lot of people use like um, 
the polyunsaturated fatty acids like omega-3s and stuff, in the same reasoning that it lowers cholesterol, um, it lowers kind of the, the ability to use sugar as well over time because it inhibits some of the enzymes that allow you to use glucose efficiently. Mm. So um, it's, it's worth looking at more. first place now a common theme in in young females is under eating mm. so if you're constantly running off stress hormones producing cortisol adrenaline noradrenaline uh, typically to, to liberate energy from fats chronic states of fat oxidation are completely problematic because it perpetuates these, these compounds that are produced from the metabolism of fats now you would think in a young normal healthy physiology that this wouldn't be a problem and that's why fasting or ketogenic or low-carb diets in someone who's relatively healthy and metabolically flexible isn't really a problem but when you kind of in a, in a, a physiology now if, if we think about a young person's physiology we're assuming it to be relatively robust relatively um, flexible but the problem is that more and more these days children are inheriting stress physiology from their parents mm. the environment's quite stressful and this aspect of physiology is passed down to them. I'll often consult with someone and I'm asking about their parents, uncles, aunties and grandparents' health. And mm. they say, oh, well, my grandmother had low thyroid function. And I think my mother does to a degree as well. Mm. Well, those traits are generally passed on to offspring mm. and often poorly protected um, in, in, in chronic states of stress. So if you're getting a young girl who's been exposed to whatever societal... Um, messages about weight and weight gain or weight loss whatever it might be you're starting to eat in a dysregulated manner the production of cortisol adrenaline can lower thyroid function so that it's really poorly detected mm. so one of the first things that you're going to go to to perhaps with a doctor is going to have check her blood sugar levels the blood sugar levels are going to be high perhaps estrogen because it's uh, a very developmental phase estrogen is being uh, shot through the roof uh, with the onset of puberty and beyond. Mm. Young girls are exposed to other environmental sources of estrogen. We know the air has a very estrogenic effect. We know that makeups will have an estrogenic effect, which young girls, you know, they're getting into that phase where they're able to go and slap loads of makeup on. All of these things can have an effect. And then there might be cleaning products within the house that also will have an environmental effect that stimulates estrogen or estrogen-like compounds mm. so this capacity to have dysregulated reproductive physiology i.e high estrogen levels compromised thyroid function uh compromised blood sugar regulation can be poorly detected within within that framework because someone's just going to look at blood glucose levels uh they're looking at perhaps uh an ultrasound and looking at a presence of cystic ovaries, uh, looking at perhaps at levels of test, testosterone and other, other markers. But sometimes the blood tests aren't going to be particularly useful for picking up what's really, really going on. Mm. And as I said, these low thyroid states can be inherited and passed on and poorly detected and even more poorly detected when there's chronic underlying stresses. And we know that teenage years can be really, really stressful for a lot of females. And so, you know, the, 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 um, the notion to conform to perhaps dieting or under eating is, is something that's going to suppress this physiology. And I think PCOS is, is really an expression of low thyroid function. Mm. The ability to estrogen to create this, these cystic responses. Uh, and, and that's why I think when they go onto these diets that are um, do you, do you know really what, healthy. 
Yeah, you know what though, like even I think just to jump in there is that um, even if they're not dieting, if they're just eating what they believe is healthy, because I yeah. you know, remember, you know, what I perceived was a healthy diet was, you know, I'd have almond milk lattes and nut milks, yeah. and, you know, I'd mm-hmm. be eating relatively low carb and greens and, you know, because I just, because you just, even if I wasn't, I was eating enough calories, I was eating all of these foods that I just thought were healthy, but were all like say contributing to that low thyroid function and having, you know, like the goitrogens in the green vegetables. And it's, it's just, I think like what's considered healthy (laughs) is they're not dieting. They're eating all of these foods that are not helping them. Well, above, you've hit the nail on the head. It tends to be still a low-energy state, right? Mm. And the low-carb diet will, will be a low-energy state. Uh, usually, it's, it's rare that uh, young females will eat lots and lots of fat. It will always be a low-carb, so it will be lots of salads or a cereal mm. or a, a small sandwich or something like that or grab us uh, uh, maybe the, the old bag of crisps or something like that is something that my elder seems to have done previously and and it's that kind of diet that lends to the problem mm. low energy state inability to de- detoxify uh, high levels of estrogens and remember estrogen well detoxification as a whole is it's the liver primary function along with the kidneys and the skin and the lungs it's energy dependent and it's also kind of vitamin dependent so if you're not getting adequate vitamins like b vitamins like b1 b2 these are the things that can compromise the ability to, to excrete estrogen out of the body. So if you're in a low energy state, you can't uh, metabolize estrogen efficiently. Your thyroid is suppressed. You don't have enough energy to function anyway. Perhaps you even get a bit constipated. And there's another way of, of kind of blocking you up and not being able to excrete all of the hormones and metabolites and other uh, things that don't need to be in the body. This can lend itself to, 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 to why that kind of diet, the raw, green, healthy diet, low energy, low calorie, can be a problem in, in mediating the problem. And this is why PCOS, just like much of the other diseases that we tend to see, like low thyroid function, are, are on the rise. And it, there, there's this synergy between high estrogen, low thyroid, and, and sometimes that, that, that testing, if you're testing it by the blood, it's a really, really poor way of making a diagnosis, I believe. I think too, you know, like, um, I mean, we attract a lot of older women into our program, like in their thirties, not being, I'm not saying being in thirties old, but like typically we don't get a lot of women in their twenties because I think you can do a lot of dumb shit to your body. Then you don't notice the effects so much until you <laughs> get older. But, you know, like a lot of these women, you know, there's women in their fifties with, um, PCOS and, you know, no one comes into our program eating liver you know, and, and not many women know that, that their body makes, you know, it's protective steroid hormones out of vitamin A, T3 and cholesterol and liver is so high in vitamin A and it's just one thing that we recommend all of our clients either eat the liver or eat the liver capsules. Um, and it's just incredible, you know, I've seen women in their 50s who've got PCOS and after a year of, you know, making the recommended dietary changes, um, no longer have PCOS. You know, like it's, yeah. it's, it's quite incredible. Well, I think with the vitamin A as well, because there's a, there's a very positive effect with one of the thyroid hormone carriers called transthyretin, mm-hmm. is that high levels of kind of uh, polyunsaturated fats and pollution 
combined to this thyroid carrier, but it's also uh, a vitamin A carrier as well. So what tends to happen is that both vitamin A and thyroid, particularly T4, can be kicked off this thyroid carrier. So when you start to enhance vitamin A with this carrier, um, uh, and perhaps you can increase the, the availability of thyroid hormone by having enough energy available, is that this, this thyroid carrier can be much improved. And so if you're getting more thyroid and vitamin A to tissues, remember both thyroid and vitamin A, retinol in particular, are very organizational compounds. They drive how growth should be occurring. So they're responsible for organization and, and, and maintaining the tissue in its best working order. So I've, I've, seen, you know, I've seen very similar things with clients coming to me with PCOS uh, and usually a combination of things like liver, progesterone, having enough calories in. I've seen a client come to me and get pregnant after four weeks because she was on a low-carb diet uh, and that low-carb diet will lend itself to a low progesterone state anyway mm. because you're constantly shuttling the glucocorticoids, cortisol and, and glucose to, to the same place that progesterone should go to. And plus that's going to suppress you know, more organization of thyroid uh, uh, as well as progesterone anyway. So having enough energy available is the thing that drives uh, most organized, most coherent, uh, most optimal tissue responses. So it doesn't come as any surprise that you see that with your clients. Mm, yeah, it's still, you know, even though I obviously know that it'll work, it still blows my mind, you know, the the effectiveness of some very simple, you know, changes done consistently over time. Um, so maybe let's, to finish off, you know, if, if a woman's listening to this and she does suffer from endometriosis or PCOS, let's talk about some, you know, a few simple things that they can change uh, in their diet to help improve um, their condition. I think one we've already mentioned, you know, eat if you can, get some fresh liver. If not, um, you know, get the, get the desiccated liver tablets. We've both been taking them now, the saturated liver tablets, carrot salad. Daily carrot salad yeah. is a good, easy, cheap thing that you can do yeah. every day. Um, going to toilet every day is, is, is very important for, for managing estrogen levels. Uh, there's no doubt about that. The more uh, constipated you get, uh, you can't pass out these metabolites, as I suggested earlier on, in particular estrogens. Mm. So if, you, if you're hanging around for two or three days in the bowel, a lot of these compounds that should be being passed out are getting reabsorbed by the colon by something called, I remember that, re-enterohepatic circulation. So it goes back into the bloodstream, back up to the liver to mm. be uh, reabsorbed, uh, sorry, re-metabolized and to be passed out another way, perhaps by the urine, perhaps by a sweat, but, you know, uh, and various mechanisms that are involved in detoxification. So going to the toilet every day is mm. a great way of managing estrogen levels. Um, you talk about carrot salad, obviously use bamboo shoots or uh, mushrooms particularly cascara good way. Uh, good too. Yeah, cascara. I mean, yeah. that's, that, that's one of my go-tos with clients who are having a hard time. I think magnesium sulfate does a really mm. good job as well. Mm, we um, talked about that, yeah. Um, yeah, I think magnesium sulfate and cascara, I think um, any of those things are useful. Just uh, if, you know, most people who even are overtly hypothyroid, which lend themselves to these high estrogen traits, Typically, if you get the food right, you can still get really good bowel function unless they really, really are in dire need of thyroid hormone. Mm. And bowel motility is, is really kind of diminished because, you know, the, the, the muscles and the function of the digestive system is just as energy needy and thyroid needy as the rest of the body. Mm. So if you're someone who's really not responding to the foods, 
then you probably need to look at uh, thyroid for a managing bowel and going to the toilet, but also effectively uh, lowering the capacity of estrogen to dysregulate your whole system. Mm. And that's why endometriosis, uterine fibroids, polyps, PCOS, that's why they're able to exert their, their negative effect is because estrogen is rife and organizational qualities of, say, progesterone, vitamin A and thyroid are much diminished. Mm. Um, and obviously getting enough energy in <laughs> and carbohydrates and sugars. So just, you know, I mean, oh God, I don't think any woman should be eating under 2,000 calories a day and you shouldn't be, you know, cutting out a lot of women, myself included, I just I never ate fruit and I didn't drink juice and, you know, I didn't eat any of the stuff that I eat now. So I think that's really important. You know, don't be scared of carbs and, and sugar and, and, and calories. Um, dairy, calcium is important too. You know, I've seen a lot of women improve when we started to track their calcium levels and in, increase yeah. them. Mm. Yeah, I mean, especially if you've kind of been prone to eating lots of cereals and, and meats or beans and legumes on their own, you get the high high phosphate to calcium ratios, which tends to, uh, you know, play havoc with the, what's going on with calcium anyway. So if you, a lot of people say, oh, you, you know, you can get more calcium from broccoli or spinach, and it's like, it's not that bioavailable. It has to be really, really well cooked. Mm. So having enough calcium in the diet helps to prevent the uh, production of parathyroid hormone, which will take calcium from the bones. So sometimes when you see people with high calcium levels uh, taken from the blood, this can be because there's actually low calcium availability. So the body will kind of cleverly, if it's not that clever, but it will take calcium out of the bones. And sometimes it can flood into unwanted areas like soft tissues. So, you know, hypertension or high blood pressure can be a product of calcium infiltrating the, the soft tissues around the arteries and makes them much less flexible. Mm. Uh, and this is why um, having enough, enough calcium in the diet, particularly from dairy foods, is really, really useful. And I, I've, I've, it's very, very rare I've found that someone really, truly has a problem with dairy. And it is, is it, it is a product of perhaps low vitamin C, low magnesium, low thyroid function, intestinal irritants, Dairy products coming with intestinal irritants. You find things like, find even things like cheeses and milks coming with carrageenans or gums in them, or your crappy ice creams coming with gums. And these are potent intestinal irritants. So the calcium-rich foods like dairy and milk and whatever it is, cheeses, can be a product of what's actually in those products rather than the dairy themselves. Mm. So if you're taking some dairy that has an intestinal irritant, and your digestive system's already irritated. The mm. two coming together, the double whammy for blaming dairy products as a source of irritation. Mm. Uh, and, you know, even other things like high tryptophan ratio for milk can cause some people to have problems because perhaps there's uh, a, a low levels of the uh, other amino acids like glycine. Mm. Uh, um, so, you know, it's, it's, I, it's, it's a very valid point. Again, keeping adequate calcium around so it doesn't get into other tissues and cause excitable tissues mm. and, and that's the same for, 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 for most tissues in the body mm. awesome well thanks so much um keith it's always i love doing these things because i like it too but you always learn new things when we when we uh when we talk so if you're a woman and yeah you do suffer from endometriosis or pcos and you've been doing the typical <laughs> healthy diet of you know the green vegetables and the low carb you know probably time to 
switch your thinking. And I know that a lot of what we talk about goes against mainstream nutrition advice. Um, but, you know, I've seen women follow mainstream nutrition advice for years and years and years and they come into our program and, you know, follow the guidelines. And, yeah, they like I said, within a year, no more PCOS, no more cysts on their ovaries. It's actually, again, like I still find it um, really incredible just what food can do for the body. So um, and I hope, hope you, you found that really helpful. And if you have any questions at all, you know, you can always just um, comment below and we'll answer them. And uh, thanks again, Keith. And uh, I'll see you next time. Bye. Perfect. Okay. Bye. See you soon. Bye.